Well, this morning we're back in our series, Who We Are. Um, as Pastor Rick mentioned, we've been going through these last few weeks, going through some of the, some of the statements of who we are as a church, who we are as a people. And usually we do this in the month of January. We take some time to go over some of the things that are important in our lives as Christians, but also as a church, some of those things that we put in place so that it sets a tone for the rest of the year, how we pray, how we engage with the Bible, and how we engage with each other. And so uh, about three weeks ago, we talked about the Bible, and Pastor, as Pastor Rick mentioned, uh, we, we made the statement, this is who we are. We don't change the Bible to fit our lives. We change our lives to fit the Bible. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about prayer, and, and we recited this a few minutes ago. Um, when it comes to prayer, prayer is our first priority and not our last resort. Yes, wonderful. And so today, I want to take, uh, take a few moments to talk about, we talked about Bible, we talked about prayer, but I want to take a few moments this morning to talk about who we are Describe us as people, who we are as children of God, who we are in God's economy, in God's kingdom, both relating to us here at Mount Hope and as a community as a whole. So today we'll be in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, feel free to grab a Bible from, from the seat in front of you. If you don't have one, we'll, be, we'll go there in a few minutes. In 2005, I was, um, I was still in college, and so through, through college, I worked, I, I usually had different jobs, and uh, one of the jobs that I, that I worked at was at this incredible company. Um, you pr- all probably all know it, frequent it. Um, how many of you know the name Sears? Or while it was still around Sears. Um, so I used to work for Sears for, for a few years. And one, my job was, I, I was a sales specialist. I was a sales specialist in the technology division. In other words, I sold TVs and DVD players. Um, so as a sales specialist at Sears in the technology department, there is one day in the entire year that I hated with every fiber of my being. Any guesses? Amen. You got it. Black Friday. I hated it. It was the worst day for me as a, as a salesperson. And here, here's a little glimpse into my day. Not only did I have to wake up at 2.30 in the morning to make my way out in the cold, fight all the people who are already standing in line, get in there, set up the sales floor, get everything ready, and around 4 o'clock in the morning, the doors swing open and a horde of people come through those doors. Now, if they were coming in for, you know, like a $3,000 TV and it made my day, it made my commission for the week, I'd be happy. No, instead, this particular year, 2005, we had an incredible sale. It was for a DVD player. Now, you may, uh, see, you're laughing, Avon. You may laugh, but a DVD player back in 2005 was a big deal. Now, even to make it an even bigger deal, it was for $20, That's your Christmas shopping right there. You get five of those, you're set. But when we advertised it, this is what we said. So we had this big, big flyer and everything put out. Everyone got one of these. On the bottom of the flyer, it said, limit one per person. Now, here's what I learned about us as a society as a whole. We don't pay attention to rules. Limit one per person was a suggestion. 
people chose to ignore. Me, on the other hand, it was a rule that I chose to enforce. I lost. I mean, those people came in. What we had done, uh, we set up these pyramids of DVD players all through the hall. I mean, the sales floor leading up into the technology department, the walls were all covered in DVD players. About 15 minutes, and they were all gone. I mean, they all came back on the, on the 26th of December, but that's a different issue. <laughs> but it speaks to who we are as a people. As a matter of fact, this has been going on for a while. Anyone remember 1983? What toy came out in 1983? Wow, look at this. This is incredible. You're better than the last service. 1983, the Cabbage Patch dolls came out. Now, how many of you remember the conflict, the Cabbage Patch conflict of 1983? This was a real thing. Some of you do. In 1983, it was one of the hottest toys to hit the market, and to date, they've sold hundreds of millions of, of those at, at this point. But here's, here's how someone described it. They don't walk, they don't talk, wet their pants or grow their hair, but somehow everyone wants one, right? There was an incident in 1983 in Pennsylvania where a, a group of 300 people mobbed this one salesperson because he was holding a Cabbage Patch doll. It culminated where a store manager had to ward off these crazed parents with an aluminum bat. Now that speaks to who we are as a culture. It gets better. The next big toy, 1996. Don't put, up, put it up yet. Oh, look at that. Wow. Man, we'd be good at trivia. This is a good group. Uh, Tickle Me Elmo came out in 1996. Here's what it released. One reporter said it released a bloodlust in the United States or in North America. In Canada, an unsuspecting Walmart clerk met his doom when, when 300 customers stampeded, or I'm sorry, I mixed it up, stampeded because he had an Elmo. He suffered a broken rib, a concussion, and finally was knocked out by a white Adidas shoe. <laughs> it speaks to who we are as a culture. If you had to choose one word to describe our mentality, our, the way we are, what would you choose? We're ridiculous and we're crazy, yes, but we're also consumerists. That's who we are as a people. We're, there is something about us as a, as a nation, as a people, it's ingrained in our DNA that we buy stuff, we, we accumulate stuff, we keep, we, we get as much as we can because there's something in it that tells us if you got the right toy or if you got the right car, you got, bought the right house, you got the right job or you got into the right relationship, there's something as you consume these things you will have joy or you will have happiness. And sometimes we buy into that myth saying the more we have, the happier we'll be or the finally we'll be happy at some point. But we realize the converse is true. The more we have, the more wealthier we are, the more stressed out we seem to be. The bigger the house, the more we work to pay it off, right? And it, 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 it somehow works like that. There's something about us we're built as consumers in a way. We have more wealth than we did in previous generations, and so we spend it more. We have more time, so we spend it more. 
We, we do all of this to gain and to collect. And at the end of the day, for some reason, we have nothing to show for it. Now, consuming, somehow, it, it's, a, it's a way to describe our culture. But I would put to you that it's also a way sometimes we can describe our church. This mentality of consumerism that exists in culture has creeped into the church. We hear statements like, I'm here because I just want to hear the beautiful songs or the worship. I'm here because I just need a word from the Lord today. You know, I've had a rough week. I just need someone to pray with me. Or, or uh, sometimes we get some things on the negative. We, get, we, we hear comments like, you know, the music was too loud today. Or the lights were too dim today. Or the speaker spoke a little too close for comfort today. We hear things like that. And what that reveals is there's something in us that says, I'm here because I need something. There's something in it for me. See, there are three types of people in the church. There's the consumer, which we talked about. Now, before I go to the other two, don't get me wrong. Being a consumer in the church is not necessarily a bad thing. And here's why I say it. Because the reason you and I are here today is because we consume something. It's because we received something. It's because we received the love, the grace, the forgiveness of the Father. We're here this morning, not because we had something to give, not because something we had something to offer. The Bible actually, as a matter of fact, describes us enemies to God when he died for us. It says, yet he died for us. We were against him, and even into that situation, even into that, into that chaos, he pours out his love, and we receive it, we consume it, and so we're here today. And it's okay, it is a good thing when we come into his presence and say, God, what do you have for me today? What do you want to speak into my life? What are the things that you want me to hear? What, are, what is the music that's going to encourage me? What, it is good to come into God's presence. It is good to come into the, to the body and to be encouraged and to, to be uh, uh, to be lifted up. It's good. But there is a problem when we limit it to that. When we limit it to just consuming. When we ask the question, what can I get from service today? Or we ask this question, what's in it for me? When we stop there. And when we don't go the extra step, the next step that requires us to ask, what does God want through me today? Or how does God receive glory through me today? You see, you're here for a reason. You're on this earth for a reason. It's to bring glory to God. That's why he created you. He created you so that you would, be, you would reflect his glory. You would reflect his image. You would bring him glory. You would be in relationship with him. And so often, we stop at the first question, what it's, what's in it for me, instead of asking, what do I give in return. How do I bring glory to the Lord? So as uh, going back, I mentioned there are three people that we often see in the church. First, the consumer that we talked about. Second, and so often this is a, a large group of us, is the communers. Now the communers, they're great people, love them. They come in, they fill, this, fill the sanctuary, they give, they come here, they're even responsive, they, they encourage you when you speak, or they, they sing loudly when you, when you sing, when you lead worship, and then they're gone. 
Monday through Friday, there's nothing else happening. It's the communers. We, they have good relationships with people. But that's all that is. There's nothing more to it. We receive, we enjoy, we have relationships with each other, and that's it. But there's a third group in the church that I want to spend some time talking about, and that is the contributor. The contributor goes beyond just receiving, goes beyond asking the question, what's in it for me, and asks, God, what do you want to do through me? God, how do I bring you glory? God, what, what is it that you can pour into me that I can give out to the world? See, the challenge for us this morning, the challenge is how do we move from consumer to contributor? How do we move as a church? And maybe you're there. Maybe this is a reminder for you. Maybe you're already plugged in. Maybe you're already serving. Maybe you're already doing all the things that God has called you to do. But bear with us as we talk as a church, who we are as a people. This is, this is a statement for today. And if you look at the back of your card, there's a, there's a statement with a couple of blanks, and you can write this down. This is what it looks like. We are not merely spiritual consumers. We are a church of active contributors. See the contrast there? We're not merely spiritual consumers. We are a church of active contributors. The challenge for us this morning is how do we move from being a consumer to being a contributor? And here's, here's where we come, we pick up at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. And I'm going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen, so feel free to follow me along with your Bibles. Romans 12, 1 through 13. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of, an one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with seal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. Earlier this month, there was a show that came up on Netflix. I don't know how many of you have been tracking, how many of you have been keeping up with Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Any, any fans here? All right, we got three on this side. That's it. All right, so 
If you're looking for a show, I recommend it. It's a great show. It's beautiful. It's the whole premise behind the show, behind tidying up with Marie Kondo, is this. She comes into a home that's all cluttered, that's, all, that's a mess, and here's what she does. She basically just redoes the home. She comes in, and uh, she does a makeover. Her, her rule is this. You look at all the stuff that you have. I think they pile it up, right? And you throw out anything that does not bring you joy. So if it brings you joy, you keep it. If not, you get rid of it, right? Great premise, You see, five years ago, she had actually written a book about this, and eventually they made it a show. Five years ago, when she wrote the book, it was relatively successful, but she was still widely unknown. The show comes out, and she became an overnight sensation. As a matter of fact, her Instagram followers went up over a million within the last few weeks. Her, she has hundreds of thousands of followers on Facebook and other platforms, and people are engaging with her. Now, my, I have a question for you, for those of you who watch her, maybe if you, if, if, as you're thinking through it with me. There are people who watch it who, who may have even binge-watched it. No? <laughs> who may have watched it. And there are people who actually engaged with her. They may have gone on social media, they may have reposted or shared whatever she had posted or actually had a conversation with her, whatever. My question is this. Out of all those people, how many lives were transformed? How many lives... Out of the million Instagram followers and the hundreds of thousands of other people and all the millions on Netflix who watch the show, how many lives were transformed? And why? The, the reason, statistically, not a whole lot, maybe a fraction of all those people. And here's the reason. It's one thing to consume. It's one thing to enjoy the show. It's one thing to just sit on your couch and kind of binge watch through the whole entire season. It's another thing to maybe even engage with her on social media. And it's a completely different thing to actually step in and apply those principles into your life. So often we limit We limit our engagement with shows and with so much of things around us to watching it, taking it in, and maybe interacting with them, maybe a conversation, maybe a social media post, and we limit it to that. So much of our world, our conversations, our relationships have often become that, where we become very shallow and we don't follow up with the final piece, the final piece being actually applying these things into our lives. If we did, our thrift stores would be full of stuff that didn't bring people joy. Unfortunately, it's not. Because we still have this consumerist mentality that we're not willing to disengage and engage here. You see, with tidying up, it shows us, shows us that there is something that we need to do more than just watch, engage. We actually need to actually do something. Uh, maybe about a year ago, um, right here in Burlington, um, the fitness, Lifetime Fitness opened up. I don't know how many of you are members, but for me, as soon as I got those mailers, I checked it out online, I was in love. I mean, this place is beautiful. This place is incredible. Uh, um, I'm a member of a gym, as you can see. The results are right here. Um, 
And I looked at this gym and I, I go, Jen, we have to join this. Come on. Here's, here's the thing about this gym. I mean, you walk in, the lobby is beautiful. There are screens everywhere. I mean, they have amenities like you wouldn't believe. I mean, talk about the spa, talk about the swimming pool, talk about the juice bar, talk about all the concessions. I mean, they have whatever your heart desires in this place. Now, imagine I walk into it. I walk in there. I walk in. I take in all the sights. I take in all the sounds. I take in all the, everything that Lifetime has to offer me. And I walk out. Question is, am I transformed yet? No, because what is missing? I haven't actually engaged. I haven't actually stepped onto one of those treadmills. I haven't actually put my muscles to work. I haven't met up with a coach who's going to whip me into shape. None of that has, has happened yet. And so often, here's, here's what I would submit to you, to you this morning. So often, we treat the church the same way. Where we come in, we come in, we watch, we enjoy the music, we hear the sermon, we may even give a few, few feedbacks here and there, you know, we've gotten those, repost a sermon online, and that's it. There is, beyond this superficial engagement, there is not that final step. And that is what Paul is talking about. He's saying there needs to be a final step. There needs to be an applying of principles. And that is what he's calling for this morning. If you're going to hear it, apply it. If you're going to consume it, make sure it comes out. And make sure it's applied in your life. And he starts in verses 1 and 2. He's saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's how you apply what you're consuming. He's saying go beyond just listening. Actually surrender your life, sacrifice your lives, give your lives over. Wake up in the morning and say, God, today, I don't know what my day is going to bring, but my day is yours. My interactions are yours. My thoughts are yours. My, whatever I watch, whatever I hear, whatever I say is yours. Make something of it. Or, Lord, this is me. These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. Use it when we come into his presence. You see, transformation begins when we surrender. Transformation begins when we submit ourselves. Transformation begins when we submit to the process. And a process that needs to take place every single day in the life of a believer. So here's, here's the process. How do we go from being consumers to becoming Active contributors. How do we become active contributors? Just two things, two things I'll touch on, and then we'll, we'll move on. First, first thing Paul is saying, maintain your perspective. Maintain your perspective. This is what he says in chapter, in chapter 12, verses 3, and five, 3 through 5. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in, in one body we have one, many members, and the members do not have all the same functions, so we... Though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
Paul's first caution is this. When we come into the body of Christ, knowing all that we know, knowing who we are, what God has done in our past, what God has redeemed, what God has changed, what God has fixed, what God has built back up, he's saying there is a temptation for us, for us to think too highly of ourselves. He's saying be careful not to go there. Maintain your perspective of who God is and where God has placed you. God has placed you in his kingdom with a purpose. And he's saying he's placed you within the context of a body. So right now, wherever you're sitting, maybe your function as a, as a person or as a child of God in his kingdom, in his body, maybe your function is that of an ear. Your neighbor may be functioning as an eye. Another may be functioning as a toe or a finger. But here's the reality. Every single one of us here this morning has a purpose. We have a function. No matter what your past, no matter what your present, no matter what you've been through, what you've experienced, you have been put here with purpose. Whether it's in the church, whether it's in your community, whether it's in your, at your job, in your family, wherever you may find yourself, God is saying there is a purpose behind it. You are all different members but one body. And he's saying don't think too highly of yourself. He continues, Paul is saying, do, he's saying, and when it comes to dealing with each other, he's saying in, uh, to, the, to the Philippian church, he writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. That's the rule Paul is saying that we ought to employ when we are in the presence of God, when we are in the presence of his people, when we think about each other. You see, thinking about the other as more significant does not diminish who we are. It only prioritizes the other more. Counting others as more significant means that we don't just take our own wants and needs into consideration when making a decision. Count, looking at the stranger at most as more significant means that we set aside our schedules and maybe our busyness to help them. Seeing our spouse as more significant means that we sacrifice our own greed for the sake of the relationship or for their good. Viewing people in, in our church as more significant, that means that we set aside our personal preferences for the greater kingdom good. Let me ask you, what would it look like if you could imagine what a community would look like if all of us counted the other as more significant. What would that look like? What would people see in us when we look at each other and we say, we honor you, we respect, and we consider you more significant in God's kingdom? Well, I'll leave that thought with you. But he's going on to the next step. He's saying, first, we maintain a fresh perspective, maintain the real perspective. So often we get into the trouble that we get into, we get into, we fall into temptations we fall into because we've lost sight of who we are. We've lost perspective of who God is and who we are in his kingdom. And then he goes on to say, put your gifts to practice. Two things, maintain your perspective and put your gifts to practice. When I was a junior, we, uh, in high school, uh, my family and I, we all moved to Atlanta. 
And so within, within just a few months, we ended up buying a house. And all throughout our childhood, I, I have two other siblings, and so all throughout our childhood, we always had chores around the house, whether it was helping in the kitchen or in the lawn, doing the lawn or whatever, wherever we were needed, we had, we had chores. And we knew Saturday was chore day, basically. So, so one day, um, I know my dad will tell me whatever I need to get done that day. And so one Saturday morning, I wake up, I go upstairs to the kitchen, and at the kitchen, on the kitchen table is this little note. It says, when you're ready to work, go to the front lawn. Now, my dad had to go to work that day, and so, so he left. So I get out there. He's not there. The front lawn looks, ex- everything looks normal. But there's only one thing different. He had pulled out the lawnmower and left it in the driveway. Now, let me ask you. If I stepped out in the lawn, I didn't see him there. There are no instructions. But I see that lawnmower. I know there are chores to be done. So instead, I leave that mower and I go do something else. Does that make sense? What is my role for the day? What is my task for the day? It's mow the lawn. How do you know it's mow the lawn? My dad didn't say anything to you. How do you know? The lawnmower is there. You see, so often we dig and we fight so hard to figure out, God, tell me what I have to do. What do I do with my life? What do I do with, with, what, uh, with the community that I'm in? How do I make a difference? What do I need to do? What is the thing that you're calling me to do? And he's simply saying this, mow the lawn. There's a lawnmower that he's put in your life. Mow it. What are the skills that God has given you? Use it. Simple as that. Use the skill. Use the talent. Use whatever God has already put in your life. And watch him bless it. Mow the lawn. Paul goes on in, 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 in this passage in, chapter, in verses Six onwards, six through eight, I'm sorry. Uh, six through eight, and he's talking about the gifts. And he's talking about gifts that God has given to his people. And this is what he's saying. Having gifts that differ according to grace given to us, let us use them. And he lists out a few gifts. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He's saying, if you have any one of these gifts, do it. Maybe your gift is to serve. Maybe my gift is to be merciful. Maybe your gift is to teach. Maybe your gift, I don't know what your gift is, but there is a gift that each one of us is given Paul here in this instance only lists seven, but there are so many different lists. Go through the book of Corinthians, go through all these letters that he's written, and you'll see list after list of gifts that he gives to his people, ways that you can interact with him and to his community. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you know what the term spiritual gifts mean. To put it simply, spiritual gifts are different ways in which the Holy, Spirit's, Holy Spirit does God's work through God's people. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts are different ways in which the Holy Spirit does God's work through God's people. See, he uses ordinary people, deposits something in them. Every one of us this evening, this morning, we have a gift. 
He's saying you're part of the body, and if you're part of the body, you have a function. There is no part of the body that serves no function. He's saying in his kingdom, in his economy, every single person has a role to play. The question is, where's your lawnmower? So often we can look for all the big things that we ought to do when we miss the simplest things in front of us. Mow the lawn. Mow the lawn. And sometimes we fall into another trap where we try to find someone else's gifts and adopt it as our own. I walk around with this, uh, with a keychain. I don't know how many of you have it, those little antiquated things that kind of look like this. I used to have one that looked like that, but then I upgraded. It's called the KeySmart. It's, it's phenomenal. It looks like this. Now, here's the thing with this KeySmart. When I, was, when I had that, it was fine because it was all fanned out. It was like this big bulge in my pocket. But now, because it's all concise, here's what I do. I go up to a door, I pull out the first key, and I turn it. It's not the one. I pull out the second key, turn it. It's not the one. Third, the fourth, and finally, I find a key that works. Here's why it's such a problem for me. Because I have four keys that look exactly the same. They're all the same color, they're all the same brand, they're all the same length. But here's the reality about keys. Each key is keyed to a specific door. Your key will not open my door. My key will not open your door. And so often, here's what we do. We sit around trying to find another key, the key that's not ours to open a door that's not meant for us. A gift that was not given us, we try to adopt. We try to say, God, I want that gift. Let me try this and let me try his gift and let me try her talent. Let me try the way she does it. Let me do the things that she does. So maybe it might work for me. And so often God is saying, what key do you have? Use it. Use the key God has given you. You see, we come, we try so hard. Sometimes we fall into the trap of, God, I don't know what to do. And he says simply, just mow the lawn. Or sometimes we're searching for keys and he says, you have the key. Stop trying to use somebody else's. See, sometimes we talk ourselves out of service. We talk ourselves, we tell ourselves, we don't have the gift. And he says, no, I've already given it to you. I've already given you the instructions. Sometimes we tell ourselves things like, maybe if I had her talent, Or maybe if I had his opportunities, I could do the same things that he is doing. Or maybe if I had the connections that they have. Or maybe if I had enough time. Or maybe if my job wasn't as restrictive. Or maybe if my family situation was a little different. We often talk ourselves out of it. And he's saying, God is saying, I'm not looking for the perfect situation. I'm just looking for a willing person. He gives you a gift that is suited to you, that is best expressed through you. Use your gift. Be a contributor. We're all members of one body. We all have a function. We all have something, a role to play. And he's saying, let's move from beyond being just consumers to actually contributors. Let's move beyond in our, in our mindset where he's saying he desires a church full of people who are wisely using their specific gifts to bless others. He's calling you to serve in the church and ask the church. You have a function. 
And I'm going to call the worship team back. And as we close, here's, here's my question for the day. What is your gift? And are you using it? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Or are you simply coming into his presence day in, day out, week in, week in, out, listening, taking it in, and leaving the same way? Coming back the next week, not a thing has changed. This morning as we close, here's, here's my, my prayer for each of us. That we move in our mindset. That we realize that who we are as people, we're not merely consumers, but we are called to be active contributors. That's who God has designed you to be. God has designed you to be a contributor. We live on important lives because all we do is consume and not contribute. We live meaningless lives when we just consume and not create. He's saying go beyond just hearing. Go beyond just listening. Go beyond just reading. Do something with it. And so this, this morning as we close, this is my prayer for you that we move to that place. But as you sit here, I'm going to open up the altars Maybe you want to come into his presence. Maybe you want to come and spend a moment or two in his presence and say, God, I've too far, for, for far too long, I've been a consumer. For far too long, I've come in and enjoyed it, but I've never actually done anything with it. I know all the stories. I know the, I know the sermons. I've, I've listened to them in and out, but I've never actually put them into play. What you need today it's the Holy Spirit to help you. What you need today is the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to move you from your seat, from warming your seat to actually doing, to actually serving, to pouring out, to encouraging, to praying over, to anointing, to doing whatever it is that God has called you to do. So would you, as we, as we close in prayer, pray to the Lord. Lord, show me those areas where I'm just a mere consumer and move me to becoming a contributor. And this morning, please don't leave without having made a decision, without having submitted your life to the Lord, without having said, God, I give you my life as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice who lives the life that he's called to, who talks the talk, who walks the walk, who does what God has called me to do. So in a moment, we'll pray and the worship team will lead us. Feel free to come up. Our elders will, will be here and we'll, we'll be glad to pray with you. So would you bow your heads with me for a second? Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We thank you for your grace this morning. We thank you for your grace that redeemed us. Your grace that brought us into your kingdom. And Lord, Lord, help us not to be satisfied with just having received, Lord, but instead help us to be people, to be conduits of your grace, to be conduits of your love that we receive and we give out. Lord, I pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit. Anoint us so that we may be used by you. We ask you this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.